0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. How
1: often and how do we introduce ourselves to our true selves?
0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
2: Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a performance coach, content creator, and founder of the Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our How To series, where we discuss a range of topics and, with the help of our guests, break down some actionable How To steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. We're here for the latest edition of our how to series. Today, we we'll am going to be joined by a very special guest, Alan Keane. Alan Keane is currently the Great Britain in England basketball under 20s coach, as well as uh, being the head coach for the Reading Rockets.
1: How are you, Alan? I'm great, buddy. I'm, I'm great. Thank you, for, um, thank you for having me on here, mate. I think it's a wonderful platform that you've created, and uh, just um, it's a privilege to be invited on. So, thank you for that.
2: You're welcome, Alan. It's a
1: pleasure to have you on.
2: Um, so, you know, guys, we're going to be discussing today. Some how-to steps and strategies, and what it means to develop emotional intelligence within your players and for yourself. So, Alan, just before we get onto that, though, I just want to know a bit about your journey and your sort of listeners to kind of let in on where did your coaching journey start? How did you get into it? And talk us up to that, please.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give a short account really on that one. Um, I just I started out playing the game. <clears throat> I was a big fan of the game from a young age and started playing it and. You know, I was lucky enough to have some very good coaches in my teenage years. Um, I played in a a, a National League club team back home in Ireland. That was the equivalent of like um, the the, the second division pro team in this league in this country. And uh, we we always, our club always brought in coaches from America. So I was very, I had a lot of experience with American coaches and And some of them guys were really good. And I still refer back to, you know, the way they did things, even in my own practice today, which is fantastic. And still in contact with those guys. Moved to England to become a PE teacher. Ended up getting into PE teaching here in London. Taught PE in a school in London for about 10, 12 years. And set up um, a basketball program there. And that kind of took over. Then, you know, I went from teaching less PE lessons to to doing more basketball-specific stuff. It was like an academy for year 7 to 11 And the school, Lambton School in Hounslow, they were amazing in terms of supporting me with that journey and giving me a lot of privileges, such as a 50% teaching timetable, just so I could build a basketball program the other 50% of the time. And then that became 40%, 60%, and then it became 30%, 70%, and they were wonderful. And that really kind of helped me take off my – helped me to experiment with a lot of different coaching strategies and concepts and principles and drills and small-sided games and all that stuff. It gave me a great – um, a great lab for trying to become a better coach. You know, and on top of that, at the same time, throughout being a PE teacher and running that basketball program, I was coaching with uh, a club team, Greenhouse Pioneers, for a few years, under 18 boys, National League. And, you know, we, we were good enough. The players were good enough to take us to a national championship. So that allowed me to coach players on that level, you know, in terms of performance level who were good enough after that, after that year, to go onto the states and play with play college basketball and, and scholarships and all that type of stuff, and then inside that, I just went through the journey, the pathway of a national team coach, all the way from grassroots regional head coach up to national team development assistant coach to European Championship assistant coach to to European Championship head coach, um, and then I took the plunge about four or five years ago. You know, Reading Rockets threw me a life, not a lifeline, but they. They enticed me over that direction and, and I resisted initially early on because I have a family and you know to I I I'm very I was very aware of what the the financial barriers to coaching full time, but however, Reading were incredible in terms of what they offered me and it was a no-brainer for me. And I've been over there, I think I'm going into my fourth, maybe fifth year coaching full-time over there in the Academy program, which is basically like an under 19 performance pathway for players who are trying to get to the States or pro contracts or make mm-hmm. a national team. And then on this, uh, and then in conjunction with that, tied into it is, is the men's team's head coach, which is basically a semi-pro team. We've got like six or seven full-time professionals, and the rest of the team is made up of the better academy players. So wearing different hats at different times, yes, sir. And uh, but we're currently all in performance. Like you know, I I kind of miss the days at Lampton when I was coaching year sevens and eights and introducing kids to the game. And just making sure that they stayed in it for the fun element while still having to teach them and making sure they were developing at the same time. You know, there's an element where you have to still do that with the academy players, but it's very much based around performance as their journey and where they're at at their stage is, is different to a to a 12 and 13 year old.
2: Definitely. You touched on, you know, um, saying about different hats at different times. I'm oh, just interesting, though, you know, within your philosophy, then, you know, so obviously you talk there about having some influences from, you know, being a player, some, exposure to some of the American coaches and some of the stuff that they have done And some of the, you know, you talk there about having to maybe carry some of that stuff over into your own work. Mm-hmm. In the context of working in those different environments, you know, in those different hands, what are some of the constants for you as a coach, you know, what that, that are fundamental and, you know, are almost um, signature or, you know, simplifying and
1: sign- Mm. Who you are as a coach? Well, I think it's such a great question. Like, what should what should remain in any world of coaching you go into, whether it's pro at the highest level, or whether it's a beginner um, in year seven or a twelve-year-old or a sixteen-year-old who's somewhere in between the process. I think there's a for me. There's a couple of key elements that should always live in the, in those worlds. One is enjoyment, and I, and I'm not I'm not saying fun for a reason, and I'll explain why. But enjoyment is one because, you know, we, we we stick to and we persevere through things that are difficult once we're enjoying it. And when you're talking about um, even a pro player, like the players we get are, are we're small budget clubs, so it's, you you know you're talking players who are trying to use us as a as a stepping stone to get a bigger contract or move on to a bigger league. Even those guys, like you've got to make sure they're enjoying it because. When they enjoy it, they play better, they're more engaged, they're learning better, they're learning quicker. But when you're going through the mundane of a season, sometimes it gets a bit mundane. Changing it up so they're enjoying it it becomes very refreshing and and, and takes it up a step that it needs to go up. With the younger players trying to keep them in the game, and and the reason I'd give a disparity between fun and enjoyment, I think fun can be perceived as a bit more of a um, participation kind of environment as opposed to a performance environment i think there can be a, a lot of enjoyment from from learning success growth and development whereas i would describe fun as you know me in the backyard and trying to play badminton with one of my stepsons and falling over you know we're having a lot of fun it's enjoyable but i think enjoyment carries a different weight to it than fun when you're talking about performance so that's got to be a key element enjoyment number one the second thing is like whether i'll say I'll, I'll, I'll give the comparison again whether it's a beginner um, whether it's a pro player, whether it's somebody in the academy, you know, I think we have to go in there with clear lenses that let's facilitate a session for them to be the best versions of themselves. So, you know, I, I was heavily influenced by Mark Bennett, who's, who's mentored me for about 10 or 12 years, and, and a couple of other guys, but Mark was instrumental And in. You know, Mark, one of Mark's saying is, like, do the best you can with what you have in the present moment. And I think that's that definition of excellence should live in every performance environment. Every training session, be it be it the under twelve session where enjoyment is the huge, biggest factor, let's keep let's keep the factor also of uh, pursuing excellence in each moment. So doing the best, can we facil- facilitate a session where the players, the athletes, the coaches, are doing the best they can with what they have in the present moment? So there are two massive ones for me, yes sir, that I would I would not waver on. You know, there's no compromise. We're pursuing excellence in each session, and and there's enjoyment. There's an enjoyment factor. So just in terms of that, you, know, you know, quite simply, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the
2: enjoyment factor is where there's a bit more of a performance goal related to it. For uh, sure. For you, where, where, as opposed to the fun is just uh, more recreational and social aspect. For sure. Um, so just building on that then, you know, what would you say within that enjoyment aspect that some of the key things are that maybe you've done in your, in your journey? Um, and if you can provide even some examples of how you've been able to implement, implement or provide an environment where it is about enjoyment.
1: Well, when you look at it, when you look at a training session, you know, and you ask yourself the simple question, regardless of age and stage and, and their journey, what do players enjoy most? And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, there's enough. If you speak to enough players, you'll gather enough evidence and you won't have to speak to too many to find the trend. Do you enjoy on air isolation drills or do you enjoy playing games? And the answer will be very simple. It always comes back to they want to play the word play comes back and there's not a there's not a lot of uh, what play entails what that is made up of that word play there's not a lot of play happening when the when the player is in isolation by themselves and they're dribbling around cones and they're shooting alone and they're passing off the wall there's not a lot of play there you know okay we've got constraints and all different restrictions and you know, boundaries and this, that, and the other. But there's no element of I've got to beat somebody or I've got to stop somebody. You know, that's enjoyable for all ages. And, and that's something that we would start. So I'm kind of, guess I'm going to go into a couple of what we do in some of our practices, Yasser. But we would start every single practice, be it the national team, the club team, the, the men's team, or the academy team. We start every single practice with some sort of game scenario. Right. and I'll explain why we do that actually if if you if you, if you want me to go yeah. in that direction. We started it because even if it's the so I get all new players, basically the the issue I have with our men's team you know and it's not an issue it's just reality. we have new we pretty much have a new senior team every year. Why? Because those six or seven pro guys we sign like they're not coming they're not coming here to retire here they're coming here as a stepping stone. To hopefully get a bigger and better contract and play in a higher league next season, so we end up having new pro players pretty much every year and i would I start the same way with them in that very first session as i in August as I would start the the session in December or February or March, and we start with that competitive element where you put them into a game scenario and it, I'm not talking in basketballs five and five I'm not talking full sided game it can be it doesn't have to be it could be a one v one a series of one v ones. It could be a, it could be two v twos all the way up to five v five but why do we do it? We do it for two reasons: number one, if it's the very first session I'm with them, I want a baseline I want them to baseline where they're at, and we do a particular task that I'll, I'll get into in a second in terms of them analyzing and you know how do you facilitate a, a more engaging collaborative environment. I'll get into that in a second, but the two reasons we do it number one, you baseline where they're at. Number two. It gives you an opportunity to 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 assess previous learning to baseline the reality, so for example, us as coaches a lot of, a lot of the time and i and I could hear myself saying it for years, and i I sometimes have to pull myself back now from saying it because you know I realize I'm going there sometimes we complain that players you know oh we we've taught them that we've done that before they don't execute what we what we expect them to execute, and then we have a bit of a vent in the moan. Like, why is he not doing it? Why is she not doing it? We've done this. We've covered this. We've covered that. Okay, that's fine. But the reality is they're not executing it live under pressure when it matters most. So now you go back to the, why do you start every session with a game scenario? Mm-hmm. Well, you start it because you're, it gives you an opportunity to test, their, to test what did they retain from previous sessions. So we would start the practice with maybe checking a recall of something we did yesterday or something we did three months ago. You know, and then we would get a true picture, a true reflection of where they 're at with it. now, what would happen next is, depending on how well they 're recalling and executing that stuff we 're checking for we would we would move on say right well that 's acceptable let 's move on if it 's not acceptable all right we've have to we have, we have to go back over that so now, what we plan for in the session plan, the next twenty minutes have gone out the window because in that recall segment. They haven't been able to show you, which is the most important thing. They can talk about it, but they haven't been able to show you that they can execute that stuff we covered two weeks ago. So we need to spend more time on that. So, you know, that's what it would look like for us in terms of like, I'm taking you back to that enjoyment element. But the benefit of the gameplay, the benefit of playing more in practice, there's two reasons there for us that we go in that direction.
2: So am I right? Right in suggesting that then, based on what you're saying, you don't really believe in any unopposed work.
1: I do believe in. I was having this conversation this week. Actually, it's funny. We're saying this with um, a very intelligent performance director from Australia, and um, we were talking about this topic. and And my point on it was is that I do believe in unopposed, isolated, on-air drills. I believe in them for context. So, what's the context? (laughs) The context number one could be just confidence. Like we had an Australian player last year who wasn't shooting Who wasn't shooting the ball well. So I would make sure for 15 minutes at the end of every practice, or 20 minutes, or whatever it was, or even before practice, if he got in there early enough, I would make sure that he was getting isolated, reps up. I just wanted him to see the ball go through the net time and time again, just to improve his, well, his form, technique, and all that stuff, and his shot selection. It's not bad. For him, it was pure confidence. And he just needed to see the ball go through the net more and more. So we used... Obviously, isolated, individual, one-on-zero uh, shooting drills just to enhance his confidence. So, I'm not opposed to it whatsoever, but you'll see it sure. in our practices probably. And, and the other issue is loading. You know, there yeah. it, it, depending on the stage of the week you're at, you know, it's better than doing nothing. Like, dribbling around cones is, for me and from my personal perspective, there's not a lot of value to it because you're missing your perception and action element and anticipa- anticipation element as well, which is important when you're playing. But if you're talking about loading on the body, I see value in doing isolated, unopposed. And the other thing is, if it's a completely new element, like for us, when we're scouting other teams, we will run some of their actions unopposed, isolated, just so players can see what their pattern of play is. So yes. I'm not a completely opposed, but so I'll give you three reasons why I think there's value there. But I don't believe. I think traditionally we've gone. I have anyway. We've gone down the route years for years where we've done it too much for too long yeah. in a practice session, and it's been it's been a, it's been an element of diminished returns, an investment of time with it.
2: Definitely, and I, I agree. I mean, something that you said there no, really resonates with me. So, um, is I agree that it does have benefits. Um, however, I feel it is maybe overused and not um, not always used in the right way, in my opinion, and you talk there about the perception action stuff, and I, you know, so I was having this conversation with Google coaches the other day around whether unopposed or opposed coaching is more effective. Now, for me, opposed coaching could be just simply having a shadow opposition.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: I, I believe you're going to get more from that than having no opposition. And if you're going to have no opposition, then you really want to work on a technical, technical tactical element to, mm-hmm. to what you're doing. I believe it is very important and uh, fundamental for to actually highlight the context in which this unopposed practice is being performed if that makes sense absolutely um so just to kind of build on that then you know you, you talked there about really some of the benefits you see for the unopposed stuff is more around uh, the, the social psych element mm-hmm. um you know obviously today we're going to be delving into the idea of emotional intelligence and what and how to maybe view that and, and go about developing that would you mind just sharing us sharing with us what you look at um, as a definition for emotional intelligence, some of the key components for that? Wouldn't that be yourself?
1: Sure. And, and first of all, what I say, yes, sir, is for me, I'm, I'm not a true expert in emotional intelligence, but I, I do know that we're the way I coach in certain ways and certain things we do have a, ha, have a connection to developing um, the emotional intelligence level of a player and coaches. So yeah. I will speak on it, but I just want to be clear that I'm not an expert. And, and somebody listening to this will absolutely know a hell of a lot more about it than me. But for us, I'll start with this. If you're trying to plan a journey of progression, and I'm talking about coaches and players here, yeah. so I'm not just talking about players. Yes. I'm talking about us as well. If you're trying, particularly us to start with, actually, first and foremost, us as coaches, if we're trying to plan a journey of progression for our development and the same applies to a player so let's look at them in parallel if we're trying to plan that journey of development and of progress and growth well we need to know what our true self is what does the true self look like like where am i at as a coach what does that look like and no filter no subjective thoughts and obviously, there's there's a way of going about that. Obviously, you ask others, watch video, be crit- look at it with a critical eye, share it with other people. So what do they see? What are they thinking about your coaching? So you develop that stance, that starting point of who am I as a coach? And who am I as a coach in different contexts? Because I can tell you this, and you'll know, I mean, you're a very experienced coach yourself. Yeah, so you'll know that. Many coaches, and and I'll put myself in there first and foremost, we can be very different in terms of our coaching behavior style and how we coach in different environments. So, for example, in the training session, I know I'm completely in control of my emotions. It's very, very, very rare that I will get emotionally balanced in a practice session. It's a lot more common in a game, especially that semi-pro league where you know the winning matters to the fans that are watching the game. The club, the sponsors, you know, if there's some financial implications for winning and losing and this, that and the other attracting sponsors, pro guys want to win because it's good for their CV. So there's an element of there's a social pressure, really, you know, because in that practice session, we're all more a lot more emotionally balanced. But in the game, sometimes we become a little bit emotionally imbalanced. So. It starts with you having, and I'm, I'm going to give you a really long-winded answer, so I apologize ahead of time, but okay. it, start, it starts with you having a true understand, understanding of yourself. And I said this on a couple of calls already over this quarantine period. How often and how do we introduce ourselves to our true selves? And that's a difficult thing to do. And it takes, it takes an element of vulnerability, which is one of the most critical factors, I feel, for growth and development. But how do you introduce yourself to your true self? And again, it's 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 asking people their thoughts about what you do. I mean, I believe in sharing a lot and I'll come back to it a little bit later. And if you can pick me up on it later, yes, sir, I think it could be an yeah. interesting topic. But I believe in sharing a lot because you get to truly understand, you know, other people's um, thoughts and reflections on the things that you shared. But I'll get into why in a second.
2: So it starts with yourself, number hey, one. Just to kind of pause you for two seconds there on that, the sharing element you're referring to is maybe just being vulnerable about your maybe your thoughts and your feelings?
1: Yeah. I mean, share. share. what's your coaching philosophy? Like I was saying to some younger coaches, like they asked me, what was the one thing you wish you'd done differently 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Yeah. And, and they were expecting me to say, oh, ask people, take notes, listen more. Yeah, all that, but I think what trumps that is I wish I had shared more because I'm sharing a lot now because I'm very comfortable where I'm at as a coach. I'm very yeah. I'm very firm on my feet now, and I hope in five years' time I will look back at this time and say, actually, I have I was way behind where I am now because I want to stay on that progressive learning journey. Mm-hmm. But my point about sharing, Yasser, is when you share something, if I share with you today, for example, and your listeners, my thoughts and feelings about what's an effective coach look like, which is ultimately what we're talking about, then somebody will listen to that and come back to me and say, Yeah, that's really good. I, I agree with what you're saying. But if you look at it from this element, or if you were to add this dimension, then it would even be better. And here's why. Now, if if I put my thoughts and my thoughts and feelings and reflections out there, they can come back to me even stronger because somebody's going to add a dimension to it. Yeah. It happened on Twitter. Yes, they put something out on Twitter and somebody came back and said, Yeah, that's a really good, coach. I really like what you're saying. In addition, I would do this. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. I'm going to add that to my thought now as well. So I get value added just for putting my thoughts out there. Now, on the flip side, where there is an element of vulnerability, when you do share stuff, you know, and it's something you believed in and and a group of people come back to you. And this is where you have to be, you know, make a judgment for yourself. And a group of people come back to you and say, well, actually, I don't agree with that. I don't think that carries much value. Fine. Great. Respect that. But if they give you, uh, here is why I don't think it carries much value, yeah. then you can really sit back in your chair and go, well, let me consider what this person and this group is thinking. And then you might find yourself going, actually, they're right. I didn't consider that angle. That's not carrying much value. So I'm going to stop doing that. So my point being, and it doesn't have to be that way, my point being is when you share, two things happen. The, the, those 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 reflections come back even stronger or they get... They, they, they fade away depending on how much critical analysis that carries value came back to you. So there's value added, value added no matter what when it comes to sharing. they are my thoughts on, on sharing as a form of growth and development for coaches. Definitely. And something you just touched on there, you know, it kind of resonates with me. So one of
2: my roles is a um, working coach education, delivering um, some courses for the FA. Um, and that conversation there around, I don't quite agree with that. And here's why. Um, comes up a lot on some of the some with some of the learners that I come across, um, and I think for some, openly ex- uh, you know, willing to accept that uh, constructive criticism, and then they may turn it around and say, okay, as you've touched on there about that Twitter example, you someone's come up with something and say, okay, well, have you ever, have you thought about maybe doing that but adding this bit onto it, um, and you know, they become a lot more receptive to that. But when you kind of come back at them sometimes with, right, I don't quite agree, and here's why. They can still be quite resistant to that, and you know, I guess that comes back to some of the vulnerability stuff. Mm-hmm. um And you know, you touched on, it earlier, you used a phrase about have that, you know, have we introduced ourselves to ourselves yet? And I think that that in, within that, and you're sure, I'm sure you're going to go into it is around that self-awareness piece, mm-hmm. that reflection piece around how much do you really know about what you're doing, how much, how
1: how well are you able to maybe step out of the frame and look at the look at the picture from the outside. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I, I think like, I, you'll hear me say a lot to the players. like We've got to baseline stuff, and I think coaches have to do the same. Yeah. But how do you baseline where you're truly at? And I think that's where the, the strength of a, of a mentor who's very experienced. or like, I think I've been lucky, Yasir, on my journey. I've just surrounded myself, and I've, I've gravitated really towards – when I look back on it now, I've gravitated towards people who, are, who have a lot more experience than I do. You know, who maybe think outside of some of them, some of those guys like Vlad and Driscovich, you know, they think outside the box a little bit differently. They, they, they saw things. We would both be looking at the same picture, but they're seeing things that I'm not seeing, you know. And, and when you gravitate to people like that, you, you generally learn a lot just by osmosis, just by being around them. Mm-hmm. But I want to say one more thing. I'll come back to the emotional intelligence bit in a second. I want to say what I think this ties into it, actually. But I want to say one more thing about the sharing element. I think the other thing you have to be mindful of as well, like a third element to it is sometimes when you have a thought, because this is how it, this is evolution at the end of the day, when you have a thought and reflection on something based on an experience you've had, that's, that experience is unique to you as a person, as a coach. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody else is going to listen to that and understand it and get it and buy into it and accept it. There might be a lot of pushback and i think you should i think there has to be a point where you kind of go well just because a group of people are pushing back on it and thinking that it adds no value and it makes no sense i don't feel that that's reason enough for a person to say well actually i'm going to get rid of that because these group this group of people which is a quite a mm-hmm. big group have said that that's not very effective otherwise we never evolve and we never have innovation Because sometimes it starts, I mean, I'm reading a lot of academic stuff at the moment for my studies. And one thing that came out of it was some things I'm noticing a common trend, actually, like stuff that was happening in the 70s, 80s and 90s that got debunked is all of a sudden like popular and trendy and not trendy um, carries value right now. Because people are perceiving it a little bit differently because people are probably a little bit different. So I think there's an element where you have to back yourself to a point but ultimately, ultimately Astrid, I'll say this, if we're talking about the coaching world, the players will give you more evidence than anybody else to whether something carries value. If you, if you build an environment, and we're back to emotional intelligence a little bit, if you build an environment where they feel psychologically safe to share their thoughts, feelings, and reflections on what you do as a coach.
2: Mm. And just on, on that then, you know, what are some of the things that you would do to help the players do that? Um, so you know, certainly in my experience, you know, there's been times where maybe I've tried a new practice, mm-hmm. a different type of session, and you know, maybe in the past or in my earlier days, I probably wouldn't have gone down the uh, avenue of maybe having a conversation with the player to let them know this is something mm-hmm. I'm trying, or you mm-hmm. know, I want their feedback on it. And um, but whereas now, a few years, you know, into 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 coaching and having a bit more experience, you know, over the last four or five years in particular, I've been a lot more receptive to actually. Maybe becoming mm. a bit more vulnerable with the players, having that bit of honesty with them to show them that actually we're both on this path together. Mm. Um, you know, this, this, any, any any practices that I'm putting on, or they're, not, they're not for myself or essentially they're, they're to help you guys develop, but hopefully I'm going to be learning more
1: mm. as sort thought of
2: implementing them. And I guess having that honesty and openness with them allows them to become a bit more receptive to anything that might not work potentially. Mm. Um, and obviously, offer me any feedback around some of the suggestions that they feel like might help the practice develop further for themselves, and align it with their own experience and their perspective of what that moment or
1: element of the game looks like. If that makes sense, mm. I'm going to go off on a. I'm just going to go off on a ridiculous tangent here, Yaso, because you've sparked, you have you sparked my thoughts in in so many ways just listening to you there, and it was very interesting. But like, if you, I think I think when we go down that route and I go down that route all the time and, and it's it's healthy, I'm not pushing back on it whatsoever where we involve the players in the learning process and we involve them in the journey I think the, one of the biggest barriers and hurdles we got to get over and I don't think coaches in general are mindful of is the position of us within that environment from their perspective mm. so for example we're always going to be to a player we're always head Coach, we're always the manager. You know, we're so that th- those words alone carry a picture in a player's head, even a pro or a beginner. That's very difficult to break down and takes a lot of time and investment and authenticity in terms of the approach from the coach. So asking the players their thoughts, what we'll get ninety nine percent of the time, I feel, just throwing a random number out there, what we'll get the majority of the time is compliance yes. and players saying what they think the coach wants them to say yes. because uh, why we're selecting them we're deciding how long they play for we're ultimately the custodians of whether they'll be successful or not on on the field of play in definitely. term in terms of you know minutes outcome and this that and the other so I think one thing we're not mindful enough about when we take on this so-called athlete-centered approach I think one thing we're not mindful of is we're not mindful of our identity inside in their heads, and it's it's it's. Too, I think it's just it's too easy to say, "Yeah, I involved the players in the learning process." My question is always, "Well, how? What did you have to do first to set it up?"
2: Yeah, and I think just touching on that, you know, it, it just it just makes me think back to some of the instances I've had where. Um, if I, if I, you know, if someone asked me before you know, what my coaching philosophy is, and I, I don't really focus too much on the technical, tactical stuff, I'm more passionate about something that you know might align with yourself about developing decision makers within the game, uh, really bringing up their self awareness and their understanding and perceptions of the different moments and contexts that they can't, that, you know, that they come across within the within the game itself. So for me, it's much more a Q and A approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, really trying to delve into their mindset. What are they, what are they thinking? Why are they thinking? What have they observed? And I think often, when I ask a player a question, uh, certainly when I, you know, in the first initial interactions, they they often think that you're maybe trying to catch them out. Maybe that's just the perception they have of the coach that they they want they expect the player to have the answer all the time, um, or more so expect, expect that the player should have the correct answer all the time. And in fact, it's for me, it's about helping the players develop and understanding that you know what there is in some cases not just one correct answer and an answer is correct based on your perception at the end of the day if, if it's a decision-making element so if you've seen something that's, that's made, said to you or that's encouraged you to make a certain decision off it that's correct for you in that moment however it's for us to now unpack and i guess delve deeper into what those considerations that you that you have made are and if there's any factors that you may be you could have considered that you potentially haven't, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think going
2: down that process for me with coaches, with players in particular, sorry, it has been a situation where okay, it can get quite long-winded at times. However, mm-hmm. we're getting somewhere here because now we start really starting to understand what you're seeing. Um, and if I, as a coach, can understand what you're seeing, then I know where to maybe position myself to look at it from also, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think one thing to be mindful of that pro- in that process is when you do ask a player what you're seeing, it's such a broad question, especially in a game play mm. scenario. So, defining for the player and for that element of practice, be it 20 minutes or whatever, or even that focus within the game, I think defining it pre practice, pre that moment, defining what the success criteria is, and being succinct with that will allow. Because what you're effectively talking about when you ask the player those questions is their element of the element of scanning. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, you know, you talk about, there's another element of emotional intelligence. How do you teach players? How can you facilitate the session? So the athlete and assistant coaches, so the athlete and coaches or whoever's involved in that session, so they are are aware of not just what they're doing, but they're aware of what their teammates are doing. But there has to be a reference point. Otherwise, it's too wide open. And we, we throw the player in the deep end too soon. So defining the success criteria before that element of practice, I think, is a critical, critical factor. So when we ask the players, what are you seeing? But your success criteria for that segment was a def- were, were three defensive elements. And then you ask the player, let's say a sub on the sideline, hey, what are you seeing here? Talk me through what you're seeing right now in these past 10 seconds. And they start talking about offensive elements of practice then then we're not really we're, we're spreading everything too wide this is my gut. this is my yeah. own experience we're spreading everything too thin so now when you're talking about a deeper level of learning from that 20 minutes i think we've missed the boat because it's everything they can't scan they can only scan so much and digest so much in a in a fast paced dynamic sport like football or basketball or rugby so, defining that success criteria, sir, I feel, is critical to that process as, as a starting point.
2: Definitely. And I think you know, just it just kind of, it, again, brings you back to some of the situations where I've maybe gone into is speaking to a sub, for instance, and then I might be preparing them to come on. And it's now, again, being very specific rather than broad around what you want them to scan for and what you want them to observe. So, if, for instance, if it was a, a player coming on to replace a, set, a, a defender in, in the game, it might be, right, I want to have a look at the opposition in this particular area of the field and see and let me know if there's any consistent patterns that you observe between maybe the, the centre forward and the wide player. Mm. Or just to give them some sort of direction. Um, so it's almost not completely tunnel
1: vision, but you're giving them an area of focus to kind of really delve into. Mm. Let let me let me talk about scanning for a little bit, yeah, so while we're on the topic, is that all right? Yeah. Like, no, go for, go for, it. for for us scanning like you know if you talk about what is it it's it's got to be it's got to be alive with a coach first i feel and you know the process for the coach and the player like this is what i like about where i'm at as a coach right now with, with how i feel about effective coaching for me the journey is is very 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 similar to the journey of a player you know with with these elements when you're talking about um when you're talking about the roof of the house, so if you look at a house, for example, and you see, and there's four rooms, and, and one room is the, tech, the other room is the tech, the other room is the tech, the other room is the physical, the other room is the mental. And if you look at the roof as that, like leadership, collaboration, you know, um, highly functional, the roof basically protects the other four rooms or and facilitates the other four rooms to be lived in well, let's say the tech, tech, physical, mental. So if you look, look at the roof as the behavioral stuff as well, I think scanning, has to be one of the critical things there because if and and what does what does effective scanning look like well first of all you've got to be emotionally balanced like if you whether it's coach or player if you're scanning and you're not emotional while you're scanning then you're limiting what you can see it's almost like wearing a blindfold so the emotional state of a player of a coach. Is very much going to dictate the the depth of scanning and the effectiveness of scanning of what that player, what that coach sees, which ultimately impacts the decision both make. So the emotional balance, being in control of your emotions, able to pull yourself back, able to resist the frustrations of a poor referee call, of of a teammate speaking disrespectfully to you, of a call of of the of of a, a turnover, a bad performance in play, being able to emotionally regulate yourself in those moments is key to effective decision making because the decision is led because of the the decision has come about because of what you've seen what you've been scanning for so when we we talk about scanning a lot in our practices like you'll hear that word come up pretty much every practice and if you say well what are you scanning for first of all after you after you're scanning for so i'm scanning for players emotional states first before technical tactical before execution before commitment i'm and i've given you the four areas we're scanning for I'm scanning for their emotional state, first and foremost. We had an import player last year from the U.S., fantastic athlete, great player, but his emotional imbalance was, was really, really limited, really poor. Now, he was very skillful, had had a lot of experience, but was ultimately making poor decisions a high percentage of the time, too high a percentage of the time for his skill set, for his tech-tack ability. But his emotional imbalance led him to make poor decisions. Loads. Okay, so let me go through that order of priority when you're scanning. So number one, scan for the emotional emotional state of the player. Secondly, you're scanning for their level of commitment to the choice they make, and then you're scanning for the execution of that choice. So for us, it will order go in that order. It'll always go in that order of priority. Are they emotionally balanced? Did they fully commit to the choice they made in every moment? And that, for me, is the definition of success. By the way. The outcome is different, but did you fully commit to the choice you made? We can always review the outcome or the choice, and we can always review the tech tack, and we can adjust and adapt, and the coach can step in and support and help you. That's the sliding scale of athlete-centered and coach-centered, which is is the true coach, which is true athlete-centered, actually. But we, we can always adjust that, but we can't adjust something that you don't fully commit to. So for us, if you're not that one of our non-negotiables, you know, for the past couple of years, and it's a very difficult thing to bring to life is you must fully commit to the choices you make. Even if it's the wrong choice, you don't know that at the time. You've made a choice, fully go for it 100%. If the outcome wasn't what we wanted, then we'll review the type of choice you made and we'll coach you and help you to make better choices. But your responsibility as a player is to remain emotionally balanced so you can scan effectively, commit to, make a choice and fully commit to the choice. And then we will review the execution and the commitment separately after that process. So that's for me scanning in a nutshell. And I think it's something that's one of the most critical elements for performance for players. Yeah. It's a critical element for coaches to coach effectively.
2: And just on that, you know, you talk there, you take you back a little bit, you talk there about the, the emotional um state and scanning for that. And you know, it'd be interesting to maybe go into a little bit more detail around that, you know, how how much of that should be self-regulated. Uh, self-managed, and how much of that could be supported by, uh, I guess, the regulation and the management of other people participating in that process, if that makes sense. And I know that you've spoken uh, in the past about, uh, I guess, examples where you've maybe allowed players and given players permission, as you put it, to actually call you out on certain things, and pull you up on certain things that they feel that may not be supporting and benefiting their own development.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I can absolutely. Great direction to go in, yeah And I'll start with this: when you're when you're on a field of play. You know, what resources have you got to perform at your best? Let's just start it. Let's just start right there. Like when the game is going live and what, what resources are available to help me as a coach, to help me as a player, let's say, again, both are on the same journey. What resources have we got available to help us be the best we can possibly be in the moment? What the answer is we've got each other players have each other. Coaches have the players, players have the coaches, that's, that's the psychical that's the process that I feel is it could be, that has, I have experienced has been very effective. So what does that look like in a nutshell? It looks like players communicating effectively to each other on the field of play live when the game is going. It looks like coaches communicating effectively to players. And then, just as importantly, players communicating to coaches. So let me unpick what effect what we define as effective communication first and foremost. Effective communication is basically you acknowledge that somebody said something to you, you accept that somebody said something to you, and then you act on it. Act on it doesn't mean you have to play out what they said. Act on it may mean, actually, yes, yeah, sir, I don't agree what you said, because here's why, and bang, we go off with a different solution and we go. So there has to be effective communication inside in that process, because that's the one thing that brings us together. But if, what you'll find very often, and, and I, I was tell you straight out right now, yeah, so my men's team this year we're we're, we're not good at this. As I said, to you, we were a, pretty much a new team, and to go through this process was challenging and and took a long time. And to give up on this process is very easy because it's not a short term win. It's it's you know for the academy guys, I think it's a longer term thing. It's a, they're they're two or three years removed from it being really effective. It takes a while to embed. You can embed it and see some short term change but actually to be effective to the point where you're firing on all cylinders it takes a good season or two i feel a full season you get like we get there towards the end of each season with like being really good with the stuff and what being good at what scanning communicating effectively players thinking and acting for themselves self-managing being self-sufficient so you talked about self-regulated how how can we how can how can we help each other to self-regulate better and i've given a couple of examples like say you know, European Championship a couple of years ago, people are probably sick of hearing this one at this stage, but European Championship, it's a good example. European Championship final, a couple of years, semi-final a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. Um, I told the players before the Euros, I said, look, guys, in some moments I, I, I get emotional and that's, be, that's the human nature of who I am. But if that if my emotions on the sideline are affecting how you're playing as a player, as a team, you know, you you guys need to, to remind me, you need to say that to me. Um, so I can get back to being the best I can be to help you it will help realign me. One player did it in the semifinal and it was perfect. The assistant coach was on my case saying, you know, you're getting on them a bit too much, you know, you know, you're 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 a bit emotional. Let's 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 you know let's peel it back a little bit. I wasn't I wasn't realigning myself based on what the assistant coach was saying, one of the assistant coaches, but as soon as a player grabbed me by the hand and said, Coach, this is one of those moments that you talked about, you told us about. You know, we need you right now to be to you know to to kind of calm down a little bit. And I said, you know what, Jacob, you're absolutely right, mate. You're absolutely right. And it centered me. It just popped the balloon straight away. And I was back to being more effective with my scanning, which allowed me to make effect more effective decisions. But I want to say this, yeah, sir. if you don't mind, if I can go on for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Like self-regulation, like being self-regulated has a lot to do with emotions, right? Like, you know, let's, how, do, how can we remain emotionally firing on all cylinders we're emotionally we're balanced you know we're, we're calm we're, we're, we're our calmness is then contagious you know others are calm the assistant coaches are calm because as a head coach i feel we've got to understand the influence that we have on others not just players when we vent and moan like very often you'll see that that has a domino effect with the assistant coaches around you and and that again it goes back to saying like are we truly aware of the influence we have or the shadow we cast with our positions as a head coach but I want to take this in the direction of a little bit more about self-regulated learning. Like how do, you, how do you influence or how do you facilitate a training session where players are independent, self-motivated, and independent and self-motivated with acquiring knowledge and skills? You know, players who can display initiative, players who have perseverance, players who can adapt live under pressure, and players who ultimately go through in their head a uh, planning, a uh, monitoring, an evaluating, an evaluation cycle, and then adapt based on what's happened. So you're talking about like, how can you facilitate a player to self-reg to be a self-regulated learner? How can you facilitate those sessions? And now you're back to you have to involve them in the learning process. You know where I, I've said this before, and and how do you involve them in the learning process? There's so many ways we could get into that, but and it may be in the how-to how-to phase, but. I've said this before, Yasser, sir, and it's come back. It's been pushed back to me, like in a way that hasn't been accepted by by some people, and I'm fine with that. But I heard yeah. somebody once say, when when you walk into, and I feel it's the same for sports, when you walk into a classroom as a teacher, you've got to understand that you, as the teacher, you are not the expert in that room. And I think it's the same for us as coaches, and I and I've had a lot of pushback about that, which I'm fine with. There's no issue whatsoever. But what I mean by that is like. If, if we're saying you're not the expert in the room, then who is? And the reality is it's the players in front of us. And we've got we've to build learning from the experiences of those players in front of us. So if you start with the end in mind, what do we want? We want players who can, who can act for themselves, who can make good decisions. We want players who, who, who can make good decisions under pressure. So how do you how and, and, and what comes with that process is creativity. So how can I be the expert and tell somebody and mold somebody to be creative with X, Y and Z? It's no longer creative because it didn't come from them. They're not responding to a stimulus with instinct. Mm. They're not problem solving live. We're giving them the solution. It's no, it's not that's not creativity. That's direct. That's being directive. That's being prescribed. So if we start with the end in mind with what type of athlete we're looking for, we're looking for athletes who can, who can think and act for themselves live under pressure. Yeah. You know, and and now you're back to, well, how can I, how can I facilitate a practice session where players are independent, self-motivated, you know, how, who display initiative, perseverance, who can adapt live and who will go through a reflective cycle of actually, this is my plan for the goals I've set this is how I'm monitoring it. I'm evaluating it. And then I'm adapting based on the experience I've had. You're talking about developing athletes who are reflecting, to, not to get too academic, to be reflective practitioners, just like we should be as coaches. It's the same process, same journey, but just in different angles.
2: I think just, you know, just touching on that, I think it's that creative bit, you know, you know just it's more, can we identify or help the players identify with the problem As opposed to providing the solution, um, which obviously then you know allows the platform to you know I guess become creative around how they're going to develop that. Um, Just to kind of move on from that a little bit, then would you mind just going into a bit of detail around what you consider to be fundamental to I guess developing that environment? Obviously, we talked there about we want to we want to foster that creativity, Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously they are the expert in the room, and that's a very interesting way to look at it because obviously traditionally you'd be more another person at the top the front of the room, the teacher in this respect, is the one who's the expert, was they're the one with the knowledge. Yeah, but and I think something that really kind of stands out me is that, yeah, they might have the knowledge, but they've got the knowledge from their
1: own perspective and not the perspective of the people within the situation. Mm-hmm. And I and think that's the key bit. I think and that's well if you look at it from what, another angle as well, and I I, I concur with what you're saying there, yeah, sir, but We are the expert. We need to be the experts. But the experts with what? I think we have to be the experts with how to facilitate an environment where players can learn and problem solve effectively. I heard somebody once say, like, what is sports? Sports is a problem solving activity. You know, and our job is to create problems for the players to solve, because in that space is where true growth and learning takes place for the athlete, for the player. So if you look at how, what does it look like in a practice session, let's talk about, let's use the word facilitators. I mean, that's something I picked up from Mark, you know, let's, what's a facilitator that's going to help you to arrive to success, a facilitator within the practice. So basically what's a different concept element you could use in order to achieve the success criteria if the success criteria is to develop self-sufficient, self-managing athletes during a gameplay. Well you've got different things you can put in first of all is you involve them in the learning process so define like I've already given you one example there has to be elements of recall check in the session and recall check where it's it's reality it's based on reality so you're checking for recall with, with game scenario game with live game elements 5 on 5 3 on 3 full sided game of soccer depending on what you're looking for what you're assessing then another facilitator that you, you should be, we, I don't want to say should, we use, which has been effective for us, is we're allowing the players to call um, timeouts, and they're restricted in the time frame. So, for example, I will tell the players, all right, guys, in these 20 minutes, here's the scenario. All right, we're going to go four or five-minute periods. Here's the scenario. Off you go. And I'm not saying anymore. I'm not telling them what I'm scanning for. I'm not telling them what the what the recall um element is i'm just well, I'm just standing on the sideline with the assistant coaches, no intervention, not intervening, not saying a word. I'm scanning to see are they bringing to life are they able to execute the recall what I'm looking for in that recall segment Now, you give them some tools to help with that process. One tool is, like I said, you allow them to call a timeout. So it will put a condition in at the start and say, right, guys, this five-minute segment, red team, white team, you have one timeout each if you need to use it. And that timeout is 30 seconds long. So you limit what, they're, what the length of time they're going to be in a huddle. It could be a 10-second one. It could be a minute. In basketball, we have a minute. So it's it, we, we bring it to life in terms of like it does in the game. And then you will just, as coaches, we will. I'll just go and listen to what they're talking about. I will tell them, right, 10 seconds left, five seconds left. But I'm just listening to what they're saying. And I'm stepping back and I'm letting them go again. Now, it'll get to a point where they're either getting it right or they're getting it wrong. And I have to make a judgment call. Then as a coach, when am I stepping in to fix this? You know, when am I stepping in and to go with the writing reflex? And and I, I, I use the word reflex because very often I think we fall victim to that. We're too quick to jump in instead of giving them time to self-correct, giving them time to get it wrong, and then let's see what they do next. Have they acknowledged they got it wrong? Are, they, are we giving them enough time? So time is another facilitator, patience of a coach to allow them the opportunity to self-manage, self-correct, help each other. The other thing I've taken from Mark Bin is something we call the rule of three, and we teach our players how to use the rule of three, basically in a nutshell, the, and, and we, we have to educate them on what this element, what the tool is. The rule of three starts with you thinking and acting for yourself. So you make a decision, something happens, you make a decision, right? I'm thinking about what could I have done differently or if anything, secondly, somebody else has done something and you as a teammate are up, are scanning for what they did. And if they're, if they've done it wrong, you're communicating live during play to help them make sure they do it better the next time or do it right the next time, or you're just communicating, great job, yeah, so great job, keep that, keep doing that. Now I'm I'm showing through my voice that I'm not just managing myself, but I'm helping to I'm helping to manage my teammate, whether it be a positive or something he has to improve. And then the, the third part in the rule of three is okay, I can see they're not self-managing, I can see that they're not influencing each other. So now we're at phase three where I as the coach, it's my job to step in because they're lost now. And I have to and that's that takes effective scanning, but it also takes time and patience and allowing them time and space to re-correct re um, correct, to help each other, to make a mistake, wait, let's see what happens next. Right, they've made that mistake again. It's a repeated pattern. Bang, we're at level three in the rule of three. That means the coach has to step in. Mm. So there's a couple of just just a couple of facilitators there I gave you that yeah. we would use in a practice session, in order to help develop players to think and act for themselves, to be more self-sufficient, to develop that concept of self-regulated learning I talked about.
2: Brilliant. You know, you, you know some of the stuff that you talked about throughout the conversation around that's see that that self uh, that self-regulated management or self management of your emotional state as well. You might just go in a bit. You know, if we now flick back to the, the the emotional intelligence part, just like, I guess you clarify and again what you consider to be the key uh, components of that.
1: Yeah, it's well, first of all, it starts with like we I won't stay too much on this one. We it starts with yourself, players, you know, have, having an honest account of where they're at, who you know, who they are in different situations. I'll give a story mm-hmm. about one of the American players we had last year in a minute. With regards to that, second thing is, you know, be aware of of, of of your teammates, have an awareness of what they're thinking and feeling, particularly feeling in this current moment. It Why? Because it will help you to communicate better to that player. Play, same goes for coaches. But if we're talking player to player, awareness of your own state, awareness of of where you're at in this context. And that's different because the game throws different stuff at us. Secondly, an awareness of how where your teammates are at in that context. And thirdly, an awareness of the, envi- the impact the environment has on us. And the environment, I mean, it's such a broad topic and a rabbit hole of directions we could go with it, but the environment includes my presence as a coach in there. Maybe we'll get there on a maybe too. the too. Envi- maybe. The environment could include the owner sitting in the stands who pays the wages of these players. You know, the yeah. environment could be the, 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 the fans sitting in or something somebody said, so... It's, I think it's just being mindful of where you're at as, a, as, a, as an individual mentally with your emotional state, your thoughts, feelings, and how that impacts your behaviors, and awareness of how, where, where your teammates are at right now, because then you can approach that situation the right way. So, for example, I had a player last year, and I'll give you this is where I had to be aware of him and where he was at and why he was wired the way he was wired. He was very emotionally yeah. balanced. There's two ways I could approach it fight fire with fire and try to beat him down eventually by overpowering him with my emotions or just meet him where he's at and actually have some empathy for him, step into his shoes, look through his lenses. What does he see and feel? That way it, it allowed me to actually kind of approach him in a way that he needed me to approach him and help him to become better at what he wants to become better at because no player wants to play bad, but his emotions were facilitating him to play bad just to build on that, you know, you talk there
2: about meeting him and just to understand what he's seeing and what he's feeling, which you, you, know, you might just talk to just how important it also is to maybe be aware and understand why he's seeing that, and why he's feeling that.
1: Well, when you understand the why, I think you, it allows you to have empathy for the guy. And I think empathy is an incredibly powerful tool. And I want to be clear that empathy is not sympathy. You know, we're yeah. not sympathizing with the guy. We're trying to get an understanding of why he's, Becoming so emotional, you know. So understanding that why allows me number one to stay emotionally balanced because I can understand the reasoning behind it. But in order to get to that stage of understanding, you have to invest time. So an example with this player in particular, we would talk a lot about what's holding. And I wouldn't talk about his emotions because I we did eventually, but I didn't, Wouldn't start with that. I'll say, Liam, what's holding you back from being the best version of yourself? Could you be better than you currently are? But most players say, yeah, yeah, I could be better. Okay, well, is there anything that's holding you back? And you eventually angle it. You get it to a point where he talks about his emotions before you talk about his emotions. Because early on in our relationship, me saying to him, Liam, your emotions right now are the biggest barrier to your development as a player. That could put up a barrier, put up a wall. So I was early on communicating with him in a way where it was just a lot of open-ended questions, and questions with genuine curiosity as to how can I help you to play better? What's your thoughts on what's holding you back? You know, could, right, you're at this stage. Do you think you could go up two levels? I think you'd go up two levels. What do you think? And of course they're going to say, yeah, yeah, coach, I can, grow, I can get better and better. Well, is there anything that's holding you back currently? Like, let's look at your performance over the weekend. What was the one thing that you wish you could change if you go back and do? It? And he'll very often go to that area you're trying to angle him to go to, any of which is about his emotions. So when, when we got past that stage, I said to him, Look, Liam, how about we put an intervention in to help you, with your, with, to help you manage your emotional state? And, he was, and I said, Here's why. I think when you're, if we look, we watch video, I said, Look, you're calm here in this phase of play and look how effective you are. So you show him video to back it up. And I said to him, Look, let's, let's go with this. I said, I, and I asked, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of what I did with him, um, yeah sir. And I took this from a Canadian um, mental skills coach who works with Canada basketball, Bryce Tully, and it was, I thought it was brilliant, and and it really worked effective for Liam as well. I said, Liam, just entertain. We were just was, this was like twenty minutes before practice one day. I said, Liam, just entertain me for a second. Just go with me on this one. Are you up for it? I'm going to do something with you, and I just want you to go for it. Are You up for it? He's like, Yeah, definitely, coach. So I got a piece of paper, a four sheet of paper, and I just held it over his eyes. And I said, Liam, what do you see? He says, I I don't see anything, coach. I see dark. It's dark. I said, oh, sorry. Before I gave him the piece of paper, I said, uh, before I held it over his eyes, I said, Liam, on this piece of paper in big writing, I want you to write down the emotion you feel when you're not playing well. And he wrote down frustration across the page. So after he wrote down frustration, I just held the I, I held page up to his face. And I said, Liam, what do you see? He said, I see nothing, coach. I moved it back a couple of inches. I said, what do you see now, Liam? I don't see a lot, coach. I'm beginning to see a page. Okay. I said, don't worry. I know you know what's on the page. Don't worry about it. I held it back a little bit more. So I'm about two feet from his face right now, with this piece of paper. I said, what do you see? He said, I see the word frustration. And I was, we were standing in front of the basket, the rim. I said, can you see the rim? He said, No. I said, why not? Because the piece of paper is in the way. I said, what what does the piece of paper say? It says frustration. So I held it back more and more and more to the point where he could see the rim and the paper. I said, well, what do you see now? He says, well, I can see the paper. I can see the word frustration, but I can also see the rim. And I said, perfect. I said, this is where we've got to get you to. This is where we have to get you to next on a basketball court. He said, what do you mean? I said, Liam, it's okay for you to be frustrated. It's a human emotion that we we shouldn't try to erase completely. Because it's part of who you are as a person. It's part of who we all are. What we need, the stage we need to get you to is you can have your emotional imbalance moments, but you can't lose sight of what your task is on the basketball court. So we've got to find a way for the two of these to coexist until you're you're ready to actually completely submerge that emotional state or completely be in control of it and recognize your buildup. So you can actually kind of move it to one side before it kicks off. So we wanted, to get, we wanted him to get to the stage of where he could recognize, same as coaches, where you can recognize your buildup of emotional balance, but you've got enough tools in your head now and you've done enough self-awareness, you've, done enough, you've had enough support from players, coaches, and others to actually park it to one side and refocus, reset your mind on the task at hand. So with Liam, I said, look, the stage what we'll go through now is when I see you to help you with this process, when I see you building up, when I see you, you becoming emotionally imbalanced on the court, I'm going to shout to you blindfold just to reconnect you to this, this little task we've done here. Uh, Well, before I did that, I said to him, look, does this, does this task make sense to you? And we unpicked what the task was like, I can see the rim. I can see the frustration. Yeah, I can, you know, I I understand that they both can exist. And I understand that I'm very much blindfold. I'm very much at the state where you held it over my face and I didn't see the rim. I'm very, so he acknowledged, he acknowledged all that first, which is important, but then he was very open to saying, right, well, How about we put a little intervention as as the next step? Anytime I see your buildup, I'm just going to shout blindfold to reconnect you back to this conversation we've just had where you've told me that you want to be the best player you possibly can and that you know your emotional imbalance state at times holds you back. So it was just used as as a tool to realign them. And it became one word that just connected him back to this conversation, this 15-minute task and conversation we had. It worked effectively for him. Now he needed another stage after that as time went on, you know. And mm. just kind of just to kind of build on from that as we
2: start to wind down now. Would you mind just then, you know, going into and breaking down some of those how-to steps around developing that emotional intelligence within
1: your players and yourself? Well, I I I think we've given quite a bit on that, yes and, I, and yeah. I'll add to it with saying the use of video is is incredibly important, um, and the use of video in different contexts. So it's easy for me to say the use of video. Um, of games, recording the games, recording the practices. It's not that's not the type of video I'm talking about. It only it is important. But when you use video, what do you get? You get a, you get a recording of what reality is, like what the real yeah. picture is. So us as coaches, like we, sh- I feel if you want to go down this journey and become a more effective coach, then you should be recording your pre-game team talks your pre-game interactions with players, every game for the whole season, your halftime interactions with the players. We should be recording every single one of them for the full season. And then your post-game stuff. And even even during the game, a microphone, a wireless microphone, which is one of the best things I've bought a couple of years ago, one of the best purchases I bought, which is not expensive at all, connect it to your shirt, press record on your phone as you walk in that gym, and then listen to it on the car on the way home. Like something as simple as that can really, really help you on a journey to being a better coach. To being... just, just to kind of build on the video element that you talked, you talked about there
2: a video of yourself in the shot so that maybe you can see your body language and things like that, right?
1: I think it's important to see both. I think you have to see your, your, how you're coming across, but you also need to see how you're being received. You know, because I, I, we in basketball, it's it's obviously very different to to football. yeah. sir. We have in any game you could have five timeouts per half, or oh, sorry, four in the first half, five, uh, six in the second half. Both teams have three in the second half, and it, those timeouts last a minute long. So that's the big disparity between football and basketball in terms of what we can do with the video. So I get like all my timeouts for the past five or six years, whether it's been national team or club team, have been recorded. I get my assistant coach, basically every time a timeout is called, he pulls out his phone, records that timeout for 60 seconds, my interaction with the players, the players' interaction with me and the players' interaction with themselves. And then I re- that. the first thing I do on a Monday morning is I watch back the pregame, all the timeouts, the halftime and the postgame. It takes about 20 to 25 minutes, but it's the first thing I do in the office every Monday morning just to see if those interactions between all of us have been effective. And it, and you, you, are, you find so many other things in there, like, you know, someone's body language is really poor. And it, there was a trend where it was poor the whole way through. And it just reminds you, I, I need to unpick that one a bit this morning before we start practice. And, yeah. you know, I, I think on top of everything else we talked about recording yourself, but here's, here's where we're back to sharing how, how amazing it would be if more of this happened. And I don't expect anyone to do it, by the way. If somebody was to record a timeout and put them up on Twitter and say, discuss what's, any, what's people's thoughts on on, 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 this coaching, on on this coaching interaction here in this timeout or this – imagine halftime in a football match. Like, you know, you know we send it we – we don't even put it on social media. You send it to other coaches. But I'm just talking about yeah. reaching the masses because it's very easy for me to send my timeouts to my assistant coaches. They very much comply yeah. with my thoughts anyway. But if I send it to somebody like, I'm just throwing a name out there right now. I send it to somebody like Simon Turner. Simon Turner is going to come back with like rich stuff, looking at it through a different lens that's going to provoke my thoughts, which we're back to the element of sharing. But I've gone on a bit there, um, Yasser, but I think recording, whether it's your voice during the game, it's those interactions with players. There's a lot to take from that in terms of developing the emotional intelligence of you as a coach, number one, and how to go on that process and how to maximize that process.
2: Definitely. You know, just, just as, we, as again as we come in towards the end of this conversation, it'll be interesting what's next for Alan Keen and what you know very much around the idea of being a player centered uh, coach and really helping the players develop their own uh, perceptions and self awareness of their game
1: yeah
2: how would you say you know as you start to get towards if you fast forward by maybe twenty, thirty years now, maybe at the end of your career, what would you want your legacy to be for them?
1: Um, I just like you know some of them guys come back now that I had years you know eight, ten years ago national team and I, and I just want them to come back and feel like I gave them something more than technical tactical, you know I gave yeah. them an ability to make effective decisions when they walk out of the gym when they walk off the court and they they head into the real world, you know and and, and something you know yes yeah, so you've touched off something that's that's. um Somebody said to me. A young coach said to me during this lockdown phase, like, you know, what? When was your What have you done that was your best coaching? And it was a great question. Like, when did you do your best coaching? And I went to it and I thought about it. And actually, I've come to this. We have played in European Championship finals. You know, every time we play against Spain, Serbia, the great teams in Europe. You know, we've been to. We won national finals. This, that, and the other. The, but the best coaching I've done was when I was at Lambton School coaching um, year 7 to year 11, so 12 to 15, 16-year-olds. And we would finish every – and why was it the best? We finished every training session with me setting them at a life skill task. And one of them was this. I'll share one. And I'll share it because it was powerful. The, 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 what came back off it was very powerful. I said to them, guys, I want you to go. And these are kids coming from, you know, different neighborhoods in West London and Hounslow, you know, where different challenges exist in their families, and their mm-hmm. worlds. And I said, guys, I want you to go home tonight. And I want you all, if you've not done this before, I want to I want to nudge you to give it a shot. And if you don't do it, don't worry. If you're not comfortable yet doing it, don't worry. But I want to I want to give you a nudge. And I want you to think about it as you walk home or you get on the bus but I want you all to go home tonight and tell either your parents or your carers or whoever's responsibility for you responsible for you. I want you to tell them that you love them and you appreciate everything they're doing for you. Now, I got a couple of odd looks from the guys, you know, we're talking on the 14s at the time. I got a couple of strange looks from them. And uh you know, I, I and that was fine. I said, "Listen, no pressure, guys, but I want you if if this means you got to be brave to do it, then then be brave if you can." If you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable, maybe you can work up to it. So anyway, yeah, I was fine. It was those like we did loads of that type of stuff. And, you know, I taught nothing of it. We finished the practice. We high fived and we left the gym. And I got four phone calls the next day while I was at work, you know, throughout the late, late well, going into the evening. And uh, one of the parents on the on the phone cried and she said, like, I can't thank you enough. My son told me that he loved me for the first time in in, in his life. And we had an amazing evening. And she said, I'd, I, and they said, we'd love to have you come over for dinner. I ended up going over for dinner, which was a strange situation, really. You know, you teach the kid in school and you're not usually going over to students' houses for dinners but the parents. And it was just, a, we built like a wonderful relationship with that family who I'm still in touch with. And he works in corporate banking at the moment. Um, he's, turned out, he's turned out to be incredibly successful. Um, but those type of things for me yes, sir, carry more weight than that European Championship medal I've got, which is – I don't mean to be disrespect, disrespectful. I think it's in the drawer somewhere. I don't know. But I'll never forget those phone calls, and I'll never forget those moments we had with those kids mm. that had nothing to do with Tech-Tac. But, like, they, you know, a lot of the stuff we've did where they've gone and carried it into their real world. And, you know, if you're doing a good job, yes, sir, and if you're doing it the right way, when these players become men, you know, and adults and professionals in another world, not not basketball, not just basketball – they will come back and tell you the impact and effect you've had on them. And when, when that happens, it's, it's, these are very special moments. Like there's, there's a group of players from that school right now who are in their mid-20s, 25, 26, 27. They take me out for dinner once every summer for the past three years. And we have such a wonderful evening. And we talk about amazing stuff. And they tell me what a knucklehead I was as a coach. You know, we joke and laugh about all the push-ups and running mm-hmm. I made them do and stuff. So, so when, you, when, you, when you, we talk about legacy, I, I don't know. I don't like to use that word in reference to myself. But that's how I want players to be. Remember me as a coach, I gave them more than just tech tack. That's helped them in other areas of their life, you know?
2: So thanks again, Alec, for your time. And, you know, it'd be know whether uh, you've got any that listeners could get in touch with you um, to maybe take this conversation further or ask you further questions if you have any yeah
1: sure no problem buddy I'm not a big social media guy except for Twitter I use Twitter a lot because I, I follow many wonderful people and steal so many things from different people so sure. Twitter is the best way just send me a message if we, if we need to connect on the phone then even better but my Twitter is just at coachkeen14
2: well there you have it guys you've been listening to another edition of the coaches network how to series where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests break down some action how to steps for you to reach your full potential. Now, I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have. But I just want to say thanks again, guys. You know, your support is massively appreciated. So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in. And please do get in touch with us and today's guest to let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show and any topics you'd like to hear discussed ultimately guys the show is about you guys so let us know what you're interested in who you're interested in listening from so get and get in touch and on that note guys you can get in touch on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net but please do not forget to use the hashtag the coaches network that was the hashtag the coaches network we need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day.
0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.